0: We are talking about killing the things that are killing us. And one of the things that I see so prevalent, one of the things I see that is killing and stealing and destroying is fear. There is a pervasive spirit of fear in our culture, in our world. And it's kind of logical. We've had a rough couple years. There's been a lot of stuff going on. We now in the information internet age, we know about every atrocity in the world and every detail of it. We walk around with this weight on our shoulders of all of the chaotic and scary things about this world. There's this debilitating, destructive, paralyzing fear that calls the shots in too many lives. I've been hearing psychologists describe Gen Z as the most afraid and anxious generation that we've seen since World War II at minimum. So I wanna go to bat with fear. I wanna fight fear. I wanna stop fear from robbing you of being alive and free and I want to do it in a way that's helpful because I think often as the church when fear comes up we don't know how to wrestle with fear so we just say kind of cheap answers like well you're a child of God so just don't be afraid don't you feel better now see you're not afraid anymore I remember hearing a sermon where the person preaching was talking about man I realized I'm a child of God so I'm just not going to be afraid of anything anymore and I've always had a fear of heights so I went on this hike and I was going to stand on the edge of a cliff and I just wasn't going to be afraid And I was sitting there thinking like, man, I'm all for conquering fears. Let's face our fears. Let's do it afraid, like courage, let's go. But also if you're standing on the edge of a cliff, you should feel afraid. There's some healthy fear. Not all fear is bad. We have to wrestle with the concept of fear. And I think there's a myth of fearlessness in Christianity. It's not the reality for how we all live. And I'll say something controversial. You've probably heard if you've been around church, you are not meant to live in fear. And that's actually not true. That's biblically not true. I believe that the greatest weapon that you have to fight against the human fears of your life is actually fear itself. It's not that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. It's that the greatest weapon we have against fear is fear itself. So the title of this message is Fight Fear with Fear. Like fight fire with fire. And here's what I mean by that. Fight human fear with holy fear. When you read the Bible, it can feel kind of paradoxical. Like you'll read passages where it's like, fear not, don't be afraid. Okay, great. But then you'll also hear about living in fear, the fear of the Lord. And it can be hard to kind of balance those two things. There's verses like this, Exodus twenty twenty. Moses is up on the mountain. He receives the law from God. He comes down to a people who are afraid of everything, living in fear. And he starts with, do not be afraid. Next sentence, God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. They're probably standing there like, I thought you just said not to be afraid, to not fear, but then you told us to have the fear of God. What are we talking about here? We need to draw a distinction when it comes to fear. We hear fear in our American cultural context, and we think of like scary movie fear. It's that time of year where all these previews are coming out, and you're like, who in the world makes these movies? (laughs) Who goes to see these movies? Don't raise your hand. Like the darkest, creepiest, scariest stuff. So we hear fear in our culture. We think of cowering in the corner, run for the hill. Somebody's got a chainsaw, right? That is human fear. And the Bible is really clear about human fear and the things we fear of the world. One of the theme verses of this year for our church has been 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That word fear from the Greek, means cowardice and timidity the destructive fear that keeps you from living the life that God has for you, and he hasn't given you a spirit of that fear. He's given you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind to overcome those human fears. But he also tells you to live in the fear of the Lord. A.W. Tozer explains this this way. The greatness of God rouses fear within us, but his goodness encourages us not to be afraid of him. To fear and not be afraid. That is the paradox of faith. We see holy fear all through the Bible. Two to 300 times you'll hear about the fear of the Lord. And it's not just an Old Testament concept. There's two Hebrew words in the Old Testament for this fear, pakad and yurah, And they kind of work together. One of them is really that emotion, that feeling of fear. And then yurah is the piety and state of reverence and worship and awesomeness. We start to get a bigger picture of what fear means in the context of the fear of the Lord. And then in the New Testament, we just double down on it. Living in the fear of the Lord as a call on your life. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, right? Like, don't be afraid. You're you're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Listen to how God is described here. For our God is a consuming fire. He's not a cute buddy you put in your pocket. He is a consuming fire. That should make you shake a little bit at the power of your God. In that verse, we hear reverence, which is one of the key words for understanding godly fear, from the Greek eidos, profound, adoring, awed respect. And then it says, and godly fear, eulabia, which adds on to that piety and veneration and that feeling of understanding our God is a consuming fire. He has all the power. And I know you might be sitting in here like kind of maybe if you're new to church, you're like, I thought we were like cool with God now because of Jesus, like aren't we all good? Now you're telling me to fear the Lord? This is, this is not one thing that you hear one time and then it just, you just get it. This is a complex concept. And I have felt this all year long. I believe this is a word for us as the, a church and for the church. we desperately, need a revelation of the fear of the Lord. I look around at the world and all of the ways we treat each other, the things that happen, the decisions people are making, the way that we have decided that we're God. I just look at our world and I go, this is what it looks like in the absence of the fear of the Lord. The Israelites went on this journey all through the Old Testament, right? They would start to wander away from God and they wanna be God and they wanna make all the decisions and they forget. They forget who God is and it leads to destruction. And then he has to pull them back. They have to remember who they worship, just how awesome their God is and that he is God. We desperately need a revelation of the fear of the Lord. Today's not about delivering you this this great point that's gonna mean you're fearless for the rest of your life. Today is about a posture, a posture of living that I believe combats the human fears of your life better than anything else, and it's living in the fear of the Lord. And I was wrestling with this all week like, okay, God, I know, I know that we need this revelation of the fear of the Lord, but I'm about to go up in front of our church and tell them, hey, don't be afraid of God. Fear him. Don't be afraid of God. Live in the fear of God. How can we grasp this? How can we wrap our arms around this concept? And I was comforted by Proverbs 2, verses one through five. It says, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It is to be sought, and he will deliver to you the understanding of it as you do. And so we've drawn a distinction of human fear and holy fear. I want to help put some more vocabulary and illustrate to you the fear of the Lord to help you as you seek to understand this beautiful call and gift that God has for us. Some words, some vocabulary around the fear of the Lord. Reverence, awe, honor, deep respect, submission, humility, alignment. It's the awe and the reverence, the understanding, the deep respect for who God is that doesn't cause us to live afraid. It causes us to live aligned with him having the ultimate authority. The fear of the Lord is where you go, you're God, you're on the throne, all authority is yours. The reason so many humans live in fear is because we ascribe authority, undeserved authority to other places, be it the fear of man, the opinions of people, be it the enemy himself, we ascribe fear over there, undeserved authority, and then we live in fear of those things. The fear of the Lord aligns you with his authority. Only he is meant to have it. I asked some people in my life that I believe are seeking the fear of the Lord, what is it? What is it? My friend Corey, he sent me this, fear of the Lord is having awe and wonder because of seeing him or knowing a piece of him rightly. When I fear the Lord, I'm not afraid in the sense that he may be abusive or manipulative toward me. Pause right there. That's such an important thing to note. Because when a lot of you hear fear of a father, you are picturing a broken, angry, manipulative, abusive, earthly father. And we're not talking about that guy. We are talking about a perfect, loving, holy, heavenly father. And that's why I'm not afraid in the sense that he may be abusive or manipulative toward me, but more so, I fear not being close to him. He's the shadow I want to hide in. He's the strong tower and defense I want to keep myself under. His opinion matters most. His perspective wins over all perspectives in any room. What grieves him grieves me. What pleases him pleases me. I texted my friend Chad, and he sent me like a mini-sermon. He said, the fear of the Lord is a daily confession that he is for me what I could never be for myself, that apart from him, I can do nothing. The fear of the Lord is a reverent and sober acknowledgement that he is God, I am not. He is creator, I am creation. He is in heaven, I am on earth. He is Lord, I am servant. He is absolute personification of holiness and righteousness, and I am not. He is outside of time and space, I'm not. He knows the beginning from the end of all things, I do not. He holds the star in the sky and the galaxies in place, I do not. He knows every hair on my head. I do not. He has every one of my days written down in his book. I do not. He is before all things. I'm not. In him, all things are held together. I hold nothing together. He never sleeps or slumbers. I do. He never lies. I do. He never breaks a promise. I do. He never wavers. I do. He never wastes a thing. I do. He never asks of me something that he hasn't already done first. He sent his son to do for me what I could never do for myself. I don't fear God because I'm afraid of him. I fear God because I can't imagine a life without him. I'll I'll send Chad your applause. I'll text it to him. I was talking to my buddy, Matt. Matt lives in Hawaii. So congratulations. Good for you, Matt. We're all so happy for you. Somebody's got to do it. Matt lives in Hawaii and the ocean, we were talking about the fear of the Lord and the ocean is often a comparison for God. Now, there's no perfect comparison for God, obviously. And the ocean doesn't have mercy in the character of God. But a lot of times it's described like God because it's this beautiful, amazing, terrifying place. And there's some people whose greatest fear is the ocean that are like, I don't go in there. I'm not an ocean person. That's how I felt about God when I first realized that he was real and he was looking for me. I was like, I'm not dipping my toes in there. Too scared. But Matt said in Hawaii, you don't find people who say, I don't go in the ocean. It's like central to their lives. He said, what you see is people who love the ocean and completely understand the authority of the ocean. That when people get on their surfboards and they go out in the water, They align themselves with the ocean. They don't expect the ocean to align itself with them. And they can sit on surfboards at sunset and look at the beauty and the majesty of this place and then see waves coming and go, oh, that's right. The ocean's in charge. I don't expect the ocean to align with me. A deep reverence and awe. God's also compared often to a lion. I love in the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis depicts God as Aslan, the lion, And in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Pevensey children make their way into Narnia and they start learning about Narnia. They're at Mr. and Mrs. Beaver's house. And if you've never read Narnia, you're like, this took a weird left turn. What are we talking about right now? Read those books. They're sitting with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and they learn that Aslan is not a man, he's a lion. And Susan, the older sister, she says, well, I should be very nervous to meet a lion. Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, of course he isn't safe. Who said anything about safe? But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. It's like Mr. Beaver has this deep reverence and awe and understanding of this consuming fire that this lion is. St. Francis de Sales says, we must fear God out of love, not love him out of fear. And Mr. Beaver, he embodies that. He loves Aslan so much. And even when he hears his name, he gets butterflies because he knows how powerful of a creature he is. When you hear the roar of that lion, if you're his enemy, it is terrifying and it should be. But when you are a friend to the lion, when you walk with the lion and you hear that roar, it's a roar of protection and comfort and you still get butterflies every time you hear it because you remember how powerful he is. To continue the lion metaphors, I love in the Lion King. At the very beginning, Mufasa is gonna be up on Pride Rock and what do all the animals of the kingdom do? They bow. They know who the king is. They're grateful he's the king because he's the protector of the pride lands. They get to live their lives, have the lives that they do because Mufasa is looking out for everybody because he's the king. So they bow. Now, when Mufasa goes and confronts the hyenas, what do they do? They cower. They cower away. When you're a child of God, when you walk with the lion, you do not cower in his presence, but you do bow because you know who he is and you're so grateful that he is on the throne. You get to live alive and free because he is on the throne. You do not cower in his presence, you bow. Brooke Laggartwood is an amazing worship leader. She said this about the fear of the Lord. This is where we refuse to grow familiar with his holiness. We don't cheapen who God is and what he's done. We revere the Lord for who he is, not who we want him to be. Scripture says that because of Jesus, we approach the throne of grace with confidence, not with arrogance. A lot of us have a real cavalier spirit, I'm guilty of this, telling God what to do, telling him how he's wrong and we're right. And I think we all just need that healthy reminder of who he is, who's on the throne, who's all powerful. And when we live in that posture of the fear of the Lord, we become so grateful for that reality. We watch what the fear of the Lord does to the human fears that can so often call all the shots in our lives. I call this sermon, fight fear with fear, like fight fire with fire. Fire is God-given, and in its proper context, it has purpose of purifying. In its fallen nature in this world, it's very destructive. One of the greatest weapons against fire, destructive fire, is fire itself. You'll, you'll hear of a controlled burn where people will burn an area of land that they're able to put out safely, fire in its proper context. And what happens is if a wildfire starts to spark and it reaches that land, it can't keep going. It can't grow bigger. It can't get more destructive because they've already taken care of it. The fear of the Lord is a controlled burn for all of the human fears in your life. It's why when you're in worship, you walk out and you go, everything feels a little less scary right now. Well, that's because you've been aligned with the authority of who God is and standing in the fear of the Lord, seeing his majesty and his might, his goodness and his power, his love for you, that he is on the throne. And it's like a controlled burn that levels the fields of human fear. Scripture, prayer, community, people in your life speaking truth to you, pushing you to the beauty and majesty of who God is, those are controlled burns in your life. The fear of the Lord is a controlled burn to all of the human fears in your life. And then the enemy walks up and he's been walking up in your life and it's been so easy for him. Just light a match. They've already poured a bunch of gasoline on this. I'll just throw this match on and There goes a wildfire of fear. But when you start living in the fear of the Lord, he walks up to the fields of your life and goes, wait, what? They've already done the controlled burns. It's been taken care of. I can't grow a wildfire here. There's no work to be done because the fear of the Lord rests here. I'm gonna have to go find somebody else. Let the fear of the Lord be a controlled burn in your life. Oswald Chambers said this, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Charles Spurgeon similarly said, the fear of God is the death of every other fear. Like a mighty lion, it chases all other fears before it. And in scripture, that's why we're told This isn't a mandate from a vindictive father. You better be afraid of me. No, it's a posture of living aligned with who he is that comes with so much blessing, starting with what it does to our human fears and then so much more. You think of it like an infomercial that's like, are you overly anxious every day of your life, feeling the worries of this world always on your shoulders? Do you live with the debilitating, paralyzing fear of this life in this world is fear a wildfire in your mind and in your life, then you need to try the fear of the Lord. And somewhere in this infomercial, it's gonna get to the side effects, the things that the fear of the Lord comes with in your life. This is not an exhaustive list, but let me read to you some of the side effects of living the posture of the fear of the Lord from scripture, wisdom. Proverbs 9:10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge, Proverbs 1:7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Direction. Psalm 25, 12, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. Prosperity. Psalm 25, 13, his soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. Abundance. Psalm 31:19, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you. Friendship. Psalm 25, 14, the friendship or secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him. He literally confides in those who fear him. Compassion, Psalm 103, 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Love, Psalm 103, 17, but the love of the Lord remains forever, forever with those who fear him. Hope, Proverbs 23, 17 and 18, do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day for surely there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. Strength, confidence, security. Proverbs 14, 26, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge, life. Proverbs fourteen twenty seven: the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death, protection. Proverbs nineteen twenty three: the fear of the Lord leads to life. He who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. Longevity, Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. Holiness, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of fear of the Lord. Freedom from sin, Exodus twenty twenty. the fear of the Lord will keep you from sinning. Humility, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. Do you want any of that? Yes. Do you want the side effects that God has for you, all of these things, all of these blessings. This is why Solomon, who has had everything, seen everything, done everything, the king of wisdom, this is why Solomon concludes life this way in Ecclesiastes. Now, all has been heard, and here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the duty of mankind. This is how you wanna live. I've seen everything, done everything. Here's how you wanna live, aligned with who God is, doing what he tells you what to do because he knows best. And he wants all of those side effects for you. He wants that life for you. He doesn't want the fears of this world to wage war in your life and burn, burn it down to the ground. He wants to be the consuming fire that comes and consumes all of those fears. That's why Isaiah, he describes the fear of the Lord as his treasure. All the blessing through the Psalms and Proverbs. That's why Nehemiah, he says it's the delight of people to live in the fear of the Lord. Why Isaiah foretells that it will be the delight of Jesus to live in the fear of the Lord. And when Jesus shows up, he is surrounded by fearful people. There's people who are afraid and missing out on Jesus because of their fear. Some people are afraid to walk with Jesus because they'll be seen with the people that he's seen with. Some people are afraid of the Pharisees and what they think because they've ascribed all the authority and power to them. The Pharisees are afraid that they're gonna lose their authority and power because of Jesus. So all these people are living in all these human fears and it's keeping them from what God is doing right in front of them in his son. So Jesus tees off on fear. Let me read this to you. Buckle your seatbelt. He says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Don't fear people. Don't fear the enemy. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. You go, Jesus, you just told us not to fear, but what you said a little earlier about the whole hell thing, kind of scary. I'll say this, I will never apologize for what Jesus says. Jesus is pretty good at being pretty blunt because he loves you and he wants you to know the truth and he wants you to know who has the power. But this actually isn't this turn or burn, fire and brimstone statement from Jesus because he attaches it to the value of you as a human being. He goes, if you know who you are in light of who the Lord is, you'll know how valuable you are to him. Look at the, the birds. God takes care of the birds. You think he won't care for you? He knows every hair on your head. That's how much he loves you. So you don't need to be afraid of all those other things. You don't need to have all these human fears. You live in the fear of the Lord, and then you understand that he loves me, and he's got me. I'm this valuable to him. He holds all the power, and I'm thankful that he does, and I'm aligned with him. All these people missing out on Jesus because of fear. Do not let the fears of this world keep you from Jesus. Let him meet you in them and be a consuming fire to them. Ephraim the Syrian said this, the fear of God illumines the soul annihilates evil, weakens the passions, drives darkness from the soul, and makes it pure. The fear of God is the summit of wisdom. Where it is not, you will find nothing good. Whoever does not have the fear of God is open to diabolical falls. I've experienced that in my life. When I wasn't aligned in the fear of the Lord, diabolical falls, thinking that I had the ultimate authority, not realizing who he is and what he has for me and letting the enemy rob and kill and steal in my life. So there's a foundation of the fear of the Lord. My hope is you'll continue to dive into it. To seek deeper understanding of this beautiful gift and posture of life. And I said I want to be helpful. So I want to illustrate to you what it looks like to fight fear with fear. To go down and find the roots the core fears in our lives and what they're doing to us, and then let the fear of the Lord speak to those things. And I'm gonna illustrate it to you through something called a laddering. So if anyone has a ladder, I would really appreciate it, could use it. Nehemiah! Thank you so much. Give it up for Nehemiah, a guy with a ladder. A good friend to have. Thank you. My buddy Matt, who's in Hawaii, good for Matt, he's a therapist, no need to pray for Matt, he's fine. Matt and I were talking this week about fear, and he was talking about, he meets with so many people, clients, and fear is at the root of so many lives, calling all the shots. Sometimes hard to see, sometimes overwhelming, sometimes hard to define. And he told me about an exercise called laddering. And this is where you start at the surface with maybe a thought, a pervasive thought in your mind, something that's bothering you, something causing anxiety in your life, something that just keeps surfacing, making you uncomfortable, and you start to ladder your way down and find out the core belief or core fear of where that's coming from. So I'll do this exercise in front of all of you for myself with something that I've been walking through, laddering through in the last year. One of the things that I have come to realize about myself is that I really struggle with intimacy and vulnerability in relationships with people and God. I force myself to say intimacy because I don't even like that word. And one night I was on a walk. When I walk my dog, sometimes I leave my phone and I just just wanna walk and try to hear from God. I picture that he's on the walk with me. I just picture the guy from The Chosen and I are just walking together, right? And so I'm on this walk and I felt like that was what was surfacing in me. Like I really, intimacy and vulnerability, just not my thing. And I'm seeing that in my relationship with God. And it was like he was gonna take me through this laddering exercise. And what you do in laddering is you ask, okay, well, why is that? Where does that come from? Okay, so I struggle with intimacy and vulnerability. Well, why is that? Well, I mean, if I dig into it, I guess I'm just not really a feelings guy. I just, I'm not a big emotions person. I feel like life is short. We don't have time to just feel our, all our feelings and deal with all that stuff. All the therapists in the room are like, good Lord, help this guy. <laughs> I'm just not a feelings guy. I'm not an emotions person. Well, why is that? Well, honestly, I don't know if I trust emotions a lot of the time. I also struggle to define mine and say how I feel about things. You know, but it's really because I'm just, I'm a doer, not a feeler. Okay, well, where does that come from? Why do you feel like you're a doer? Well, I'm, I'm good at getting stuff done. I feel like that's what I can provide for the world for relationships. I, I can get stuff done. Okay, so how is that tied to your struggle with intimacy and vulnerability? Well, I guess if I'm honest, I feel like what I bring to relationships is the things I can do. And if I dig a little deeper into that, I guess I'm a little bit afraid of what would happen if I couldn't do those things because I'm not sure anybody would still want me around if I couldn't do something for them. I need to prove my worth, be enough, do enough things so people, let alone God, still want me around. Well, where does that come from? That sounds kind of like fear of failure. Yeah, it is, and, and I guess I'm afraid to fail. I'm afraid to not produce because people will reject me. And if people reject me, how much more would a holy, perfect God reject me? If I can't be enough, do enough? Fear of rejection, probably at the root for a lot of our lives. I wrote that night in my phone, I work really hard to be a necessity person because being needed protects me from not being chosen. Because I don't believe that people would want me around just for who I am but only because of what I can do. And I carry that into my relationships with people. I carry that into my relationship with God. I have this deep seated fear of failure rooted in fear of rejection and if I'm honest, if we get all the way down to the bottom rung, what I'm saying is my fear is that I'm unlovable for just who I am. I'm unworthy of love and that can feel so valid because I know how messed up and broken I am. I know how annoying I can be. I know my flaws. I can logically talk myself into the reality that it probably makes sense that if I'm not producing, if I can't do enough, why would anyone want me around? So I'm gonna work really hard to be a necessity person to protect myself from not being chosen because, well, at least I'm needed. When you get to this bottom rung and you realize, man, the fear of rejection, the fear of being unlovable, the fear of being unworthy of love, those are at the roots of my life, it starts to make a whole lot of sense of your life. Oh, it's no wonder that I'm always trying to prove myself. Maybe for you, oh, it's no wonder that I breed toxicity in relationships and I run from healthy ones. It's no wonder that I'll accept less, I'll settle for less, I'll be walked all over, abused, neglected, I'll take that. I will sacrifice my integrity just to feel a little bit of someone seeing me and caring about me. Because my core belief down here is that I'm unlovable. So I'll just take whatever I can get. And when you, when you know this core thing, it starts to make sense of all the things up here that drive you crazy and why you live in anxiety and fear all the time where you're, it could be one awkward interaction in the lobby. And by the time you get home, you've deconstructed your whole identity all the way down to, well, of course, because nobody wants me around. I shouldn't even be at that church because I'm just... I'm just awkward, rooted in I'm unlovable. Your spouse can just give you a strange look and you start working your way down. It's like, oh, they're starting to see that I'm flawed. They're starting to see more of the cracks. They're gonna leave me. They don't want anything to do with me. Look at how broken I am. And you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe they should leave me because I'm unlovable. One little thing, a breakup can level your life because you start working your way down. Well, I'm never gonna have what other people have. I'm gonna be alone forever, and and probably that makes sense because nobody is choosing me. Nobody wants me. I'm unlovable. And maybe people have made you feel that way. I can tell you something about the guy who's always whispering that in your ear. He's a liar. His native tongue is lies. It's the language he speaks, but they can feel So true down here. So you can get down to this bottom rung and then you have a choice. The beautiful thing about doing something like this is you get to your root fear, the core fears that are driving your life and just by speaking them aloud and realizing this is something that I have held onto or started in my childhood. I've had this fear of rejection, this fear I'm unlovable, this fear of unworthiness and now I'm speaking it out loud and it already starts to lose power just by naming it. Then you have the decision to go to work and let God go to work. Because when you're living in that identity, the fields of your life, the enemy's like, I mean, you already poured all the gas on and lit it. I don't really have to do anything. This has been so easy. I've just had to whisper these lies to you. Or, you can take that fear, you can take those core beliefs to the Lord and let him speak. Open that up and then bring it to him. And here's the beautiful thing about living in the fear of the Lord. It's the posture where you start to listen to him and believe what he says. And if you find yourself like me with that kind of a a belief, I'm unlovable, I'm unworthy, let's listen. Let's take that and put that in the posture of the fear of the Lord with a controlled burn and let him just speak and just listen to him. Here's what he says. Romans 8, 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. To that fear down there, you didn't receive a spirit of bondage to that. I'm not calling you to live bonded to that anymore, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, I am your father. You are my child. I have chosen you. That's what I have to say about your your worth, how lovable you are. Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. How precious to me are your thoughts concerning me, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I'm awake, I'm still with you. I'm always with you because you have chosen me. You have made me fearfully and wonderfully. You know every hair on my head. That's what Jesus says in Luke 12, right? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. This is what God thinks about you. This is how much he thinks about you. 1 John 4, 17 and 18 is one of the most famous passages about this earthly, destructive human fear. It says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. When you open this up right here, and you actually call it for what it is, it's like inception, right? You've gone down all the layers of your thoughts, And the van's been falling for like two hours and you get down here and you realize this core belief and then you let God, you open up that safe to see what he has to say and you pull out what God has to say and here's what he says, you are worth the cross to me. That's how much you matter. That's how lovable you are. I chose to make you and I chose to die for you, and I chose to give you new life so you could be alive and free. That's what I think about you. That's supposed to be the core belief of your life. Let's control, burn this stuff, and start living out of that truth of what God says. When you live in the fear of the Lord, you start going, I'm not gonna listen to what those people say anymore. I'm not gonna listen to what the enemy says anymore, and I'm not gonna listen to what I say anymore. I'm gonna listen to what he says, and what he says is you were worth the cross. That's what I think about you. You are so lovable. I have made you worthy of love. I have called you child. That's the kind of controlled burn that I want in your life. To live in the fear of the Lord and let him speak and reveal to you the identity and blessing that he has for your life. What it really means to be alive and free. And you can, you can dig down to all kinds of fears and do controlled burns of these things, man. Some people, you're just like, man, there's so much darkness in my life. I just feel like the enemy, I'm, this, I'm the enemy's playground. I have this fear of the enemy. I have this fear of evil. And you call that for what it is. Then you open up scripture, you open up Psalm 23 where David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And what does he go on to say? Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil, why? Because you're with me. You're with me, God. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. I know who my shepherd is and he's a lion who fights for his flock. Jesus, so many people are afraid of the devil and the demons in his time and he's walking around and he's like, him? Them? That's who you're afraid of? You don't need to worry about him. How can Jesus say that? Because he knows he's about to go chain him up. He's about to go defeat him. And then he says, and I'll be back in a little bit and I'm gonna rip his head off. You don't need to be afraid of him. For a lot of us, we just have this darkness, this fear of evil in our lives. And I would say on a practical level, check the inputs of your life Some people are like, why why do I just feel so afraid all the time? It's like, well, maybe because you binge watch shows every night before you go to sleep about serial killers. (laughs) Like seriously, we have an obsession in our culture with the darkest parts of humanity. We fixate on those things. And it's no wonder that everyone's anxious and afraid. What does Philippians 8 say? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There's enough darkness in this world. Don't go fixate on it more. Think about the things of the Lord. Check your inputs. You're an adult. You can choose what you take in, what you fill your life with. It may seem harmless, but it's not, especially if you can tell that you're living in fear. You have no reason to fear the enemy. Don't let him put fuel on that fire. Some of us, it's the fear of the unknown. We fear a lack of control, anybody? Humans don't like that. For some of you, your greatest fear right now is the election next year. That maybe your party won't win. You look at the world, it feels chaotic. Christians are so afraid sometimes of the things that feel out of control, the things about the day-to-day of our world right now, and I just am like, man, did we forget that no matter whoever's in office, the same guy's still on the throne? No matter what the storm looks like, no matter what the world looks like, that Jesus is in control. I think of Jesus in the boat with the disciples when the storm comes. And he calms the storm and he looks at them and he goes, why are you all so afraid? And I don't think Jesus is saying, why did it make you feel scared when you saw this storm coming and you're all traveling in this little boat that Peter and John nailed together on a body of water? Like, there's probably some healthy fear there. I think what Jesus is saying, oh, you must not realize who's in the boat with you. I'm the storm stopper. I'm the death killer. That's who I am. So if I'm in the boat with you, you're good. I'm in control. Even when you feel like everything is out of control, you can trust and rest in the fear of the Lord because he is still on the throne. Fear of man. How many of us let people determine the course of our whole lives? Their thoughts about us, their opinions of us. Social media certainly doesn't help with that. I think of David walking up to Goliath Full of faith, not fear. Why? Because David spent time in the fields learning the fear of the Lord, seeing the power of his heavenly father. David had already killed a bear and a lion with his bare hands. He had seen the power of God in his life. He looks at Goliath, he's like, Everybody's just scared of the tallest guy in the room. This guy looks like a baby compared to my God. We need to humanize humans again. People aren't meant to live on pedestals in our lives. Take them off of those. I think of the movie A Christmas Story. You'll shoot your eye out, that movie. There's those two bully kids in that movie, and whenever they're gonna show up and mess with Ralphie and his friends, that music comes on and you kind of feel a little scared. And then you're like, I could take both of these kids. Why am I scared right now? This is also a movie. And then there's the part of the movie where Ralphie's had enough and he beats the crap out of that bully. And I remember watching that as a kid because bullies are scary. I remember seeing that scene and I remember seeing the bully after Ralphie beats him up and his hat's off. He's got a bloody nose, he's crying. And I was like, oh yeah, he's just another kid. He's just a little taller than the other kids. He's just a person, probably has a hard home life. Deserving of love and respect, but not of our fear. We Should not fear people. Paul, the apostle Paul, when he's talking about the fear of man, he goes, do I look like somebody who's trying to please people? Trying to win their approval? If that's what I was living for, I certainly wouldn't be a Christian. Now in this world, I rock with Jesus. I'm worried about what he has to say. And I already know I'm approved by him. He's chosen me, not forsaken me. William Gurnall says, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. That's why before I preach, I always pray, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you. Not them, As much as I love you guys. As much as I want you to agree and like this sermon. I saw somebody walk out of this sermon when I read what Jesus had to say about fear. And I understand that there will be people who don't like me and who don't like what I have to say. And I can live with that if I'm saying what Jesus wants me to say. So may the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you. That's who I'm worried about. That's who I wanna have him hear my sermon and go, that's what I'm saying. That's what I want my people to hear. I want them to have a revelation of the fear of the Lord and the life and freedom that comes from it. Fear of death, a lot of people live their whole lives just afraid to die, which if you don't have faith, that makes sense because you have no answer for it. But even as a Christian, you can't meet somebody who's done it. So it sounds scary, right? When you start to live in the posture of the fear of the Lord, you start to see death even lose its power. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? He's talking trash to death. Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you, not even death itself. I'll finish with a story about fear in my life. I was a very, fearful child. I don't know exactly why. I was just afraid of so many things. I had social fears of being in restaurants, being around people. The worst part of the day was going to bed at night, scared of the dark, scared of storms. I can remember times where my parents would help me move my bed to different places in my room, trying to find the place in my room where I would feel the safest. My greatest fear was bad guys. Somebody breaking into my house. And it was paralyzing to me. I couldn't sleep. I became the kid who just always went into my parents' room, which I now understand is a huge (laughs) buzzkill. I was thinking about it this weekend. I probably would have younger siblings if it weren't for my fear as a child. (laughs) I'd go into their room in the middle of the night and I'd just be like, I'm so afraid I can't sleep. Can I sleep on the floor in here because I'm too afraid to sleep in my room? And I was starting to grow up and I think my parents were trying to help me deal with it. I can remember nights where my mom was anointing me with oil in my door and just praying, like, get this fear out of this kid. And so one night I went and woke my parents up and I was just like, I'm just afraid of somebody breaking into our house. My dad was like, all right, come with me. And we walked out to our backyard and he showed me our house and he goes, that's where your room is. And as you can see, there's just a sheer wall up to your room. You couldn't climb up there. So if somebody were to break into our house, which they won't, but if they were, they wouldn't come through your room. You live in the safest room in this house. We went back in the house, my dad went to bed, I went in my room and I was like, oh, that makes me feel better. It makes sense, it's logical. And then I got in my bed and I was afraid all over again because they could just come through my brother's room. (laughs) Right, that's how fear works, it will always find another angle. And I don't want something to happen to my brother but they could just go in my brother's room and then just come into my room. Still afraid. Another night, a little while later, I woke up in the middle of the night to what sounded like my greatest fear had been realized. There was a massive crashing sound in our basement and I sat up trembling. And I thought, this is it. Somebody just broke into our house. So I got out of my bed and I was trying to think, what do I do? And I decided I'm just gonna crack my door open and look out and if I don't see anyone, I will just sprint to my parents' room. So I muster up the strength and courage and I open up my door just a little bit and I see somebody walking and I realize it's my dad with a shotgun in his hands. And my dad walks down the stairs and then I hear him open up the basement door and he yells down into our basement. He goes, if anybody is in my house, I will give you 10 seconds to get the blank out before I come down there. And strategically, loudly, he loads his shotgun. Silence. So I start to hear my dad going down the stairs. My heart's racing. He's down there, it's silent. And then after a few minutes, I hear him coming back up. No shot fired, thank God. Some shelves had decided to fall over in the middle of the night because that stuff only happens in the middle of the night, never happens during the day. <laughs> and my dad comes up the stairs and he sees me peeking out my door and he goes, We're good everything's fine, go to sleep. And I shut my door and I got in my bed and I slept that night. I didn't need logic to quiet my fears. I needed to see the power of my father and I saw it that night. If I was a journaler at that time, I would have written down, dad's good, dad's got us, dad's a little scary (laughs) and I'm glad he is. I'm glad he is. Note to self do not mess with dad. Would you stand to your feet? Let me tell you something. You don't need a sermon. You need to see the power of your father. You need to see the might and majesty and goodness and love of your father. You need to see his power in your life. You need a revelation of the fear of the Lord and may it be a controlled burn in your life. May you live in the posture of the fear of the Lord and let it free you to understand that dad's good and he's got us and dad's a little scary and I'm glad he is. I don't wanna mess with him, I just wanna be with him. May we be a church rooted in the fear of the Lord. Listen to Acts nine thirty one. This is our roots and legacy. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. A move of God starts with the fear of the Lord. Freedom in your life starts with the fear of the Lord. You wanna know what the fear of the Lord sounds like? Chains breaking, fields of fear dying, freedom. Life. And what it takes is us taking the proper posture. We don't cower in the presence of our heavenly father. We bow to him because he's the king. So may your worship, may your group, may scripture, your prayer life, may it be controlled burns every day where you let the fear of the Lord speak to those bottom rung fears that have been leading your life for far too long and find the freedom that Jesus has for you because he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So Jesus, we thank you that you are the king. We honor you today with awe and reverence and wonder. We sit in the fear of the Lord and I pray for controlled burns all through this place, for the women at our God Behind Bars campus, for everybody joining us online, for everybody in this room. Would there be controlled burns in our lives where the fears that have been calling the shots for too long go to die? Teach us, help us understand this incredible gift of the posture of living in the fear of the Lord. Speak to us, free us, move in us. We worship you now. We do not cower in your presence. We bow to you, our King, in Jesus' name, amen.